you. We just welcome you, each and every one. Good to see all of your faces. Amen. Praise the Lord. It's good to be a part of the family of God. Amen. Amen. Wonderful. Just want to welcome those that have joined with us online. Pray God will bless you. Looking forward to the service tonight. Brother Jean is, is ready to preach. Amen. We're looking forward to it. So why don't we sing, My God is Real. We haven't sang that for a long time. He's real in my soul. Let's start with the chorus. Brother Ebier, good to see you. (laughs) Praise the Lord. Back from the Northwoods. Amen. God bless you. (laughs) Hallelujah. My God is real, real in my soul. My God is real, 
Then go tell it on the mountain. Amen. Let's sing that together. <clears throat> go tell it on the mountain. Over the hills. Far away. Go tell it on the mountain. That Jesus Christ is born. The shepherds kept their watching. Fear that friend. 
Sing that little chorus, To God be the glory for the things that He has done. <clears throat> to God be the glory. To God be the glory. To God. Tonight, oh God, 
We magnify your name, Lord, for you are great and worthy of our praise, Father. You are wonderful in our eyes, O Lord Jesus. And we just want to lift up our voices in praise and adoration to you tonight, O God. For you have done mighty works in our midst, O Lord. You have done marvelous things in our lives, Father God. You have saved us and redeemed us by your own blood, O God. And brought us unto yourself, O Father. Oh, we thank you for the call in our lives, O God. Thank you for your word that has called us to yourself, Lord Jesus. Thank you for this glorious message, O God. We bless your name tonight, O Father. Thank you for your grace to us, Lord. For your amazing grace, O God. Wonderful, Lord Jesus. We bless your name, Lord. We bless your name tonight, O God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Praise your holy name, Father. Amen. Glory to God. Glory to God. Just have a testimony in here from Sister Laverne Clemens. If you remember, we had a request from her last Sunday for her daughter Nancy in Texas. Remember, she was in a a house fire and uh, was not burnt, but she had suffered smoke inhalation and had uh, gotten pneumonia in her lungs. But we just want to give God praise because she's out of the coma and has greatly improved. So we just want to thank our Lord Jesus. Amen. Praise the Lord. Hallelujah. Praise the name of the Lord Jesus. Thank you, Father. Blessed be the name of the Lord. Praise God. Brother Tim Dodd, could I ask you to come and pray tonight? Why don't you come and just take lift your needs before the Lord tonight? So our brother Tim would come and pray. Amen. Let's just bow our heads together as we approach him. Just think if he had not come as a babe, if he had not come and paid the price, where would that woman be in the hospital from smoke inhalation? The God that heals her is able to heal you tonight. The same God is able to give you what you have need of. The redemptive price has been paid. The blessings are available by faith in the atonement. Heavenly Father, Lord, as we bow in your mighty presence, O God, Is anything too hard for the Lord? Nothing, O God, is too hard for you. You had a plan in mind down through the ages. Lord, you had a redemptive purpose. Lord, you knew that man would be in need of a healer. That we would be in need of a savior, a deliverer, a provider. Lord, that you would come on the scene and you would express your great attributes in our lives, O God. And we sing this evening, to God be the glory. Great things you have done, Lord. You have brought us this far and you will lead us safely onward, O Lord. As even the world is wondering, what is this Christmas all about? 
as shepherds wondered, what do those angels really mean? As wise men looked at the star and followed it for a couple of years, oh God, as different things took place. And even as Mary heard the things and hid them in her heart, Lord, with a great meaning in her life, wondering how they would be fulfilled. But now, Father, here we are at the end of the age. At the end of time when we can look back, oh God, through your great redemptive purpose. And we say to God be the glory. To God be the glory in the Garden of Eden. To God be the glory through the flood. To God be the glory through the Old Testament and through the New Testament. So many great things you have done, oh God. And Lord, we're here tonight as a part of that great purpose. Lord, you see the needs of your children. Lord, may you go out to them through the ministry of your word tonight. May your word just deposit faith within every heart. Lord, may may it cause the devil to flee. Lord, may the powers of hell be broken, O God. May chains be broken. Lord, may a liberty be brought to the children of God. Lord, may needs be met. May people leave this place saying, truly, God met with me tonight. Anoint our brother John as he comes. He might be nervous, Lord, but we're not nervous because you're on the scene, O God. And we pray, Lord, you just deliver your word in power and in demonstration tonight. Bless every part of this service, which you knew we would be here, whether on these grounds or whether streaming on the Internet, whatever it might be, you knew it, Lord, and you prepared everything just for this moment. We commit ourselves to you, asking your blessing upon every part in Jesus Christ's name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. Have your seats tonight. Praise God. We have a an announcement. Can you start by um, playing the Great Emancipator? We have an announcement um, for watch night. Um, I'm not happy about it, but uh, I guess we're going to have to, what is it, cancel the um, after service, right? So the fellowship that we're going to have after the service because of the restrictions that the government has imposed upon us once again. We will, uh, well, we will have that watch night service, but it's the fellowship service afterward, correct? Everybody got that straight? Watch night still happening. The songs, the music, everything's still happening. It's just the fellowship afterward that we're not able to have. Because apparently we're, um, whatever. I can't figure it out and I don't think anybody can. <laughs> yes. And then also, um, uh, Sister Margaret has a sister-in-law here with her daughter from Chicago, and we just want to welcome them tonight. Bless you. <clears throat> All right, let's sing this song. Start with the first verse. Once my heart is overfettered by Binding chains of sin, but the great emancipator, he set me free to worship him. Oh, 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 hallelujah. 
change the order of the service tonight <clears throat> invite our brother Jean to come maybe we can just stand together I like to sing that song he touched me as we prepare to hear the word we're just expecting the Lord to touch us one more time amen hallelujah he touched me oh he touched me Yeah. 
something has happened. My, what a good confession to start the service with tonight. He touched me. You can say that because that's your testimony. If he hasn't touched you, still say it. He touched me. Amen. Let's bow our heads and pray. Heavenly Father, once more we've come into your house tonight, Lord, to hear your word. It's good to be in the house of the Lord, to sing praises unto you, to worship you, O God, to express our love to you. Lord, we worship you tonight for you are God. For you are good, Lord God. As we've been singing this song over the past few weeks and months, all my life you've been faithful. All my life you've been so good. Every breath that I'm able, I will sing, I will live in the goodness of God. Oh, Father, we commit ourselves to you tonight. 
The people of God have come hungry to hear from you, not from a man, Lord. So my prayer is that for the sake of the people, will you speak tonight? For the sake of the people, will you take this man and put him aside, Lord? Speak to the needs of your people, Lord. As they have testified, you touched me. Lord, may you touch them, Lord God. For those who haven't felt your touch for a long time, let tonight be another night where they can feel that precious touch. For those who don't know what it is to be touched by you, oh God, will you touch them tonight, Lord? Father, there was a woman with a blood issue who touched you. And many people touched you that day. But you, she was the only one that you touched back. So as we touch you, oh God, may you also touch us tonight, we pray. Breathe upon the word. Make it come alive in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We ask these things. Amen. Man, let's turn to the word. Thank you, musicians. We're going to turn into the book of Hebrews, chapter 11. The famous chapter of faith. And I appreciate the prayer, brother team. Uh, that was just exactly where we're going to go tonight. We're going to start with verse 1. Now, faith is a substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. We're going to turn to Hebrews 13, just a few pages, beginning verse 8. Jesus Christ, the same yesterday and today and forever. Amen. You may have your seats. I've been pondering for a few months, uh, on, still on the subject of Revelation, where we were at last time, and I was going to continue on that, and just last week, just something else came upon my heart, and I started pondering on this instead, so we're going to go a different direction, and perhaps pick back on, pick Revelation again on another day, I can't believe I'm saying this. Uh, I was saying, Brother Tom on the back, I say, this is my last service. And you looked at me and say, for 2021. <laughs> so we're going to speak on the subject of the principles of faith. That's what I have for a title, the principles of faith. Then by saying that, we realize that faith is a revelation. So I guess we're still speaking of revelation. I'll begin by reading a quote, Brother Branham, in the message, Jesus Christ, the same yesterday, today, and forever. It says, I believe the word is infallible. And it says he's the same yesterday, today, and forever. We say amen to that. Now, this is interesting. It says, how can he be the same? Good question. Because we say it all the time. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. But it says, how can he be the same? It says, he's the same in principle, in power, and in attitude. So those are the three characteristics or the three elements of Hebrews 13, 8. What makes Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today, and forever are three things. Principles, power, attitude. So his principles do not change. His power does not change. His attitude doesn't change. Brother Adam says that if God, if somebody comes to God and receives something from God, and you come on the same basis as that person, his principles won't change. 
His power won't change. And his attitude won't change. Provided that you approach him on the basis of the same principles. And you have the same approach. So if you consider the principles of God yesterday, and you follow the same principles, then you experience the power of God the same. And what that tells us is that his attitude today tells us what his attitude will be tomorrow. And I'm going to jump a little bit ahead of myself here, but there's something called precedence, and I'll come back to this after. But precedence is, especially in, it's a legal term, where the ruling of a judge sets precedence. So when a case, a similar case comes to the judge with the same elements, the same principles, the ruling will be the same based on precedence that was established. So when God does something the first time, he establishes precedence. Brother Benham says that if God does something the first time and changes his mind about how he does it, he was wrong the first time. But God is never wrong. So when he does something the first time, it's always right. So you can look at what God did the first time and follow with the same principle because he won't change that. We're speaking on the principles of faith, but I would like to zone in on a, on a very spe- specific subject here on healing. And it's, I'm going to go on a limb here because it's, it is a minor. We don't major on a minor, but I just felt so impressed upon my heart this past few weeks to deal on this subject and to perhaps share the principles of faith that you might understand how to believe for healing. But the same principles apply to everything else, whether it's salvation for your children, whether it's your own salvation, whether it's deliverance, whether it's whatever your need is, the principles of faith remain the same. So why are we going to speak on divine healing? Well, Barry Barnum says this. Think of it. People tell me they got faith and say they can't believe in divine healing. Friends, if you don't believe in divine healing, you're lost. That's right. says, how are you going to, if you can't have faith enough for God to patch up this body to glorify him in, how much more are you going to have faith to believe that God will take this old mortal body and make immortality out of it? He says that, so the changing of your body, he says that's a direct divine healing. So when God takes this old body and changes the atom, when Paul says in Corinthians, it says we shall all be changed. It says it talks about a change in all the atomic characteristics of your body. So it's a change at the atomic level. Every single part and cell of your body will be changed. That change is a direct healing. So when Brother Benham is saying, if you don't believe in divine healing, you're lost, he's not necessarily saying that faith in healing is what saves you. He's saying that if you have faith in God for salvation, you have to have the same faith for your healing. Because the atonement, there's two sides. There's the healing of your body and the salvation of your soul. You cannot have one aspect of the atonement without the other aspect. So when God heals you, he also forgives you of your sins. I believe that we, we have needs in the body. I, I, I know I have needs. I have, I have loved ones who have needs. So I'm just going to inspire your faith tonight to believe. And then you can use the same principles of faith for whatever it is that you need. Speaking about principles, let's turn into uh, the book of Numbers. Numbers chapter 21. Starting from verse 6. 
And the Lord sent fiery serpents. Now, the, the, the backstory here is that the people were complaining again. And they spoke against the Lord. And they spoke against Moses, as it was, I guess, custom for Israel to do. They kept doing it over and over again. And the Lord, therefore, came... Verse 6, sorry. And the Lord sent fiery serpents among the people, and they bit the people, and much people of Israel died. Therefore the people came to Moses and said, We have sinned, for we have spoken against the Lord and against thee. Pray unto the Lord that he take away the serpents from us. And Moses prayed for the people. Verse 8. And the Lord said unto Moses, Make thee a fiery serpent, and set it upon a pole. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is bitten, when he looketh upon it, shall live. And Moses made a serpent of brass and put it upon a pole. And it came to pass that if a serpent had bitten any man, when it beheld the serpent of brass, he lived. So now the people of Israel sinned against the Lord. They did something they were not supposed to do. They say what they're not supposed to say. And the Lord got angry and punished them for it. And then they come running to Moses and say, Pray the Lord for us. Now, it's, it's interesting that they were criticizing Moses oftentimes, but now they come to Moses for prayer. And why couldn't they go to God themselves and pray? Because God had provided the office of a prophet. And I know today people say, we don't need a prophet. I can look at the Bible myself and understand it. No. God has provided a prophet. Because a prophet is built differently than you and I are. A prophet is built such that the word of the Lord comes to him first. And then when the word comes to the prophet, then through the prophet, you can understand the word. That's the reason why God sends prophets. And that's why the people of Israel understood that. They went to Moses and said, hey, we cannot go to God ourselves with sin. We need a man that can go to God. A man that's built to speak to God and figure out. I'm going to take that back because it's not about figuring out. But receive the revelation of how to deal with this situation. So Moses goes and prays to God and the Lord said, this is what you're going to do. Now, principles. He says, if the people want healing, this is how I'm going to do it. You're going to take a serpent, a fiery serpent of brass. Not only that, but you're also going to raise him, put him up on a pole. Not only that, but the people have to look and behold the serpent, then they will live. So God is establishing your principle for healing. It's not enough to have the brass serpent. It's not enough to have the brass serpent on the pole. You need to look at the brass serpent and, and live by that. So Moses could have just done the brass serpent. That will not achieve healing. Moses could have raised the brass serpent on the pole. That will still not achieve healing. What achieved healing was faith in that. So in other words, God told Moses, this is the principle of how I can deal with the people. You had to believe in that. The act of looking at the brass serpent is testifying that you have faith, that that is the solution for your healing. That came through the prophet. In Exodus, uh, when the angel, the angel of death was going to come, God told Moses, he said, tell, tell Israel, tell the Jews in Goshen to take one lamb for each family and apply the blood. And that will pass. Right? Scripture. Now, what saved the people wasn't necessarily the application, just the blood on the door. What saved the people is that the blood was being applied in obedience to what the prophet said. So if you came one day before Moses said that and you just, you don't, you say, you know what? I'm going to take a lamb and just kill that lamb and apply the blood just based on your own understanding, just something that you wanted to do. Salvation is not in that. 
what makes that blood salvation to you is the fact that it came from the thought of God, spoken by God's prophet, and applied in faith. So it's the thought of God expressed through the word, and when you act as when you act because you're obeying the principles of the word, that's what faith is. Faith is faith is based on the word, not on your feelings. We can turn to John chapter five. I don't know how long I'm going to be. I don't think I'm going to be very long, but there's going to be a lot of reading, a lot of quotes because I just want to establish these principles. John chapter 5, we began reading from uh, verse 2, I guess. Yeah, we can start with verse 2. This is the Pula Bethesda, the story here. We know the story. Now, there is a Jerusalem by the sheep market, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five portions. In this lay a great multitude of impotent folk, blind, halt, withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down in a certain season into the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first, after the troubling of the water, stepped in, was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there, which had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie and knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he said unto him, Would thou be made whole? The man answered, verse 7, Sir, I have no man when the water is troubled, to put me in the pool, but while I am coming, another steppeth down before me. Now, this is interesting because here's a man who understood the principles. So the pool of Bethesda, I, I was just pondering, how did people know the exact formula? That at a certain season, the angel will step into the water, and then it's the first person that gets in that gets healed. Everybody else that comes after doesn't get healed. I guess it took some observation over time. So maybe the first time they saw the water being troubled and somebody jumped in the water or maybe fell and was healed. Like, wait, wait a minute, something's happening here. So I guess when the water is troubled, we can jump in. And then the second time the water was troubled, they all jump in. But only the first person was healed. Like, wait a minute. Then they started understanding, oh, it takes the first person. So first the water has to be troubled. Then the first person who jumps in the water, that is the principle for healing. And here is the man, when Jesus said, do you want to be made whole? He's saying, I understand the principles of this pool. I understand what it takes for me to receive healing. Is that the angel has to trouble the water first. Then after the water is troubled, somebody has to put me in, so I'm the first one. But what happens if I have nobody to put me in that water? I understand the principles, but I cannot act it out. Let's turn to 2 Kings chapter 5. Starting at verse 9. So Naaman came with his horses and with his chariot. And stood at the door of the house of Elisha. And Elisha sent a messenger unto him, saying, Go and wash in Jordan seven times, and thy flesh shall come again to thee, and thou shalt be clean. But Naaman was rough and went away and said, Behold, I thought he will surely come out to me and stand and call on the name of the Lord his God and strike his hand over the place and recover the leper. 
So Naaman had an intellectual conception. He had, he had his own man-made ideas about what it would take for him to receive healing or how the whole scene will play out. Perhaps sometimes we come to church with our own expectation and understanding of how the service should go. And it's when Naaman came and he realized that it wasn't going to be the way he thought, he got angry. Here's a man who's in need and who's being told what to do. And that's the attitude. Now, his servant came near him, verse 13, thank God for his servant, and spake unto him and said, My father, if the prophet had bid thee to do some great thing, wouldest thou not have done it? How much rather than when he saved to thee, wash and be clean? If he had asked you to perhaps offer 50 bags of silver and this, or go and kill this so many people, if it was something that was complicated, you would have done it, right? But he's asking you to obey and do something that is so simple. Why can't you do it? And the Bible says, Then he went down and dipped himself seven times in Jordan, according to the saying of the man of God. Here it is again. So the act of dipping in the Jordan River seven times does not save you. It doesn't heal you. The reason why it became healing for Naaman because he did it according to the word of the man of God. So your action always has to be rooted based on the spoken word. If you act upon what has been spoken by the word of God, then it can become reality to you. Naaman had a different idea. He would have been glad to do something very complicated. But God laid a principle before him that was so simple. And that is God's very nature, simplicity. Nothing tonight will be said that you haven't heard before. But the power of it is the simplicity of it. I've been so struck this past few weeks just pondering on this and I prayed. I said, Lord, is it that simple? Turns out it is that simple. Uh, just the, the way I made uh, my, my own makeup and perhaps m- some of you are made like me is that I, I like to understand complex subjects, right? Uh, in school, I, I, I love discrete math. It's, it's, you know, reasoning and deep and putting this together and, and proving this and proving that, proving this. That's, that's just how I'm made. I enjoy a, a good intellectual subject, right? Like science and physics and I love reading all those things. So if you're not careful, it becomes that we start overcomplicating the things of God. And the very nature of God is contrary to complexity. God is simplicity. So I'm going to challenge you tonight to come back to the basis and the simple principles of faith. And I know sometimes we look at our situation and we think like, man, it's going to take something big, something, a supernatural move of God and something so miraculous to handle this case. No. That is just how you think as a human being. For God, it's just as simple as anything else. So as human beings, we have a very good appreciation for complexity. And we're very good at estimating the complexity of something, right? So when you're thinking about, let's say if you're an artist and you're drawing a, a very simple shape of an eye, it's, it's very simple. And then you see another picture and you can say, and this is going to be much more difficult to draw. And it's going to take a lot more hours and it's going to require a lot more attention to detail because you're able to appreciate the complexity of something. And based on the complexity, you also understand that the inputs have to be complex. And let me make that simple for you to understand. So if I'm trying to build a little A-frame or little cabin, I know what it's going to take for the cabin. So what I use to build it is proportion 
to the complexity of what I'm trying to do, correct? If I'm trying to build a house, I need more materials. I need more man work. I need more labor. There's a lot more that needs to be done based on how complex that structure is. So as human beings, we look at the complexity of what we're trying to achieve. And then based on that, we say, okay, if it's that complex, then what it's going to take also has to be complex. That's human nature. With the things of God, it's completely the opposite. Like your output is irrelevant. What is relevant is what you put in, faith. That's why the scripture says all things are possible to those who believe. God didn't go and labor and say, if you have faith, then you can, you know, if you want to get healed of cancer and this and this and this and this and that, you need faith. Now, what he's saying is that if you have faith, then all those things are possible, no matter what they are. So God puts an emphasis on faith. He doesn't put an emphasis on what you're trying to get. That's why we don't pray for healing. We pray for faith. We don't pray for deliverance. We pray for faith. Because if you have faith, you have healing. You have deliverance. You have peace. You have everything you need because of faith. So we don't look at the complexity of what is it we're trying to achieve. We look at the principles of what we need. Faith. Faith is a substance. Bible says faith is a purchasing power. In other words, it's money. It's the currency. So when you want to have a transaction, you need a currency. When it comes to the things of God, when you want to obtain something from God, the currency that he's given you to exchange is faith. So you take the faith that God has given you, you exchange it in return for something. So here's my faith, my purchasing power. Give me my healing. Here's my purchasing power. Give me my children. Here's my purchasing power. Give me peace. Here's my purchasing power. Restore my home. That is what faith is. It's the currency. So it is a substance and the evidence is written in the scripture. So if you speak about evidence, if I was to ask Brother Michael and say, Brother Michael, you know what? I, I really need some help. Can you, can you send me a hundred dollars? And he says, you know, today it's all interact. He says, what's your email? I give him my email. Then he says, okay, here you go. Here's $100. And then I get a notification on my phone because I have, I have, I have auto deposit. So it's, here's the money in my TV bank account. Boom, I receive the money, right? I don't physically see the money. I don't have the, my bank account open to see that I have the money. But what I have is a notification that something has been deposited. So when I ask Brother Michael for something and he gives it to me, I can rejoice based on the notification. Faith is that evidence. So when you're praying to God and you're believing and something is settled in your soul, you've received the notification, the confirmation that what you've requested has been deposited already. You don't have to see it yet. What you need is to have that evidence. Faith is evidence. What is evidence? Proof. By having faith, you have proof. Now, after I see that notification, I cannot go back to Brother Michael and say, Brother Michael, I really need $100. He says, I already sent it to you. You've got the evidence that I've sent it to you. So when you're believing for something in faith and you're praying, and then God makes it real to you that he's answered your prayer, that is the notification. You don't even need to go back to God again and say, Lord, give it. He said, I've done it already. I've given it to you. 
So the next step is now is to rejoice and to praise God and say, Thank you, Brother Michael, for the hundred dollars. Thank you, Lord, for my healing. Thank you, Lord, for my family. Thank you, Lord, for my children. Thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. Because I have received in my soul the evidence that is already done. Principles of faith. Now, God is the healer. Is this okay? <laughs> we believe that doctors help people, Brother Adam says. I believe that God heals by medicine. God heals by surgery. God heals by understanding. God heals by love. Just a little love goes a long way. Let somebody be all upset and just show them that you care. See? God heals by love. God heals by prayer. God heals by miracles. God heals by his word. God heals whatever source it is. God heals by it. So the ultimate healer is God. Uh, so let's not get so uh, legalistic to say, no, don't go see a doctor. Don't take any pill. Don't do anything. God is your healer. God is a healer, but he uses many ways, sources to heal us. So it is okay to go see the doctor when you're not feeling well. It is in order. It is okay to have that surgery and pray that God will direct the hand of the surgeon to heal you. God heals through surgery. God even heals through music. We saw it in the scripture of Saul. So when you come to church, you can worship. And through that music and worship, God can heal you. God can heal through love. If somebody is broken, just show them a little bit of love. God can heal through that. But the ultimate healer is God. It's not the surgery that heals. It's not the medicine that heals. It's not the doctor that heals. It's God that heals through all those things. So the faith shouldn't be put or placed on the source. The faith should be placed on God who uses all those sources. My faith doesn't lie in the surgeon. My faith doesn't lie in anything or in music. My faith lies in God. And God is free to choose however he wants to heal me. In Second Chronicles 16 verse 12, you don't have to turn to this. It says, And Asa in the 39th year of his reign was deceased in his feet. Until his disease was exceeding great. Yet in his disease, he sought not the Lord, but to the physicians. So here's a man who failed to understand that healing was from the Lord. So if he had sought the Lord first, perhaps the Lord will use those physicians to heal him. So our faith doesn't go to the surgeon or to the physicians or to the doctor. It goes to God. And then God can use them. So when you're ill in your body, the first person you should turn to is the Lord. Let's not get into the habit of running straight to get a pill, straight to the hospital, straight. You run to God first, then you go. But this is what, what I love here. The first thing a person does when they get sick, that's Brother Brian, I'm saying this. He says, maybe I run at home, you have a few remedies and things that you try. Then the next thing, you call the doctor. He says, that's the sensible thing to do. That's right. If you have a headache, get a, get something. And maybe you need some water. Maybe you need an Advil. That's the sens- sensible thing to do. You do it. And if it gets worse, go see a doctor. He says, that's the sensible thing to do. He says, that's what you should do. But if the doctor can do you no good, then you've got a right to go to God. That's who you should call. Call on God. For he is the author of circumstances. He can do, 
he can do when nothing else can do. When man comes to an end of their life, God can do. That's from the message principles of divine healing, which is where I was in. If there is any way that I could help it, that I could help you, well, I'm not a doctor. I know nothing about medicine or operations. I honor and believe in medicine and operations. I believe there are God sent blessing to us. But sometimes we get to a place where it's beyond our medical science. Then when it comes to that, I think instead of giving up and dying, we have a right to come to the great physician. If your local doctor couldn't help you, you'd have a right to go to a specialist. Then if the specialist can't help you, then let's go to this specialist of specialists, the Lord Jesus. He says, that's why I'm here. So you go see a physician when you're not feeling worried. He says, I can help you. Go see this specialist. Go. Do that. Go see the other specialist. But if the other specialist can't help you, then you have another specialist who is the specialist of all specialists. You can go to him. So Brad Bonham is showing us how God can operate healing. You know, have some remedy at home. Doesn't work, go see a doctor. It doesn't work, go to a specialist. It doesn't work. Then there's a specialist that is above all of this. Brother Bonham says, in disease and affliction, a germ from the dog will bring forth a dog. From a bird, will bring forth a bird. From a human, a human. He says, if nothing interrupts that, God's program, nothing interrupts it, it will bring forth a perfect normal child, and it will grow to a perfect normal adult if nothing interrupts it. But when something interrupts it, it's bound to be the evil who's interrupting God's program. So God's program is that every seed will bring forth after its own kind. And then a dog will bring forth a dog, a human will bring forth a human, and it has to be perfect child. The child will grow and be a perfect adult. And if something in between comes to interrupt it, he says, that's the devil. It is God's program for you to be perfectly whole. If something comes and interrupts it, that is the devil interrupting God's program. And that's the devil coming and defying the principles that God laid in Genesis. Every seed will bring forth after his own kind. The devil comes and tries to interrupt that program. It's the devil. And you have the right to come against it because it's interrupting God's program for your life. Ramon says, I do believe in healing. It's one of the greatest doctrines of the Bible. But healing has more to it than just divine healing. Says divine healing says that there is a God who is coming. What does divine healing speak of? It's the earnest of the resurrection. Without healing, there's no resurrection. It's the down payment. When God heals your body, He's paying a down payment for your new body. He's saying your new body is coming. I'm preparing a place for you. That new body is coming. But here's a down payment. By my stripes, you are healed. That is your down payment as proof and evidence that the total payment is coming. Now, that was, I'm going to lay something down here as a, as a foundation on top of this foundation. Let's, can we stop with the slideshows? Bible says, okay, it's on the screen. As I have said, there's three elements that people dwell in. 
The first one is the humanistic element. It says, read down here, we say, well, I pray for that person, I'm hoping that they'll get well. The next is divine revelation. That's when something down in your heart anchors it and says it's going to happen, then something is going to happen. The third element is vision, or the word of the Lord made manifest. When you see that, that's of the Lord. I don't think this is working. Hey, can you go to the next slide? So there's three elements that a man follows. First is humanistic. Then there's divine revelation. And then the vision is that of the Lord. Many times we're down here in a humanistic realm. And we never climb up into the revelation realm. Next slide. Now, he refers back to this again. He says, remember last night, the human... The revelation and the vision. He says, this is hope. This is faith. And this is perfection. So we can sit on the next slide. Go ahead, click again. Yeah. So the humanistic element, that's hope. Then revelation, that's faith. And he says, the vision, that's the day of the Lord. So Brad Bonham is telling us here that people in this realm, there's three elements in which people live. Some people only live in the humanistic element. In this realm, you're guided by your senses. In this realm, God has not answered your prayer because you're not feeling that he answered your prayer. In this realm, you're not healed because you still have symptoms. In this realm, your family is not saved because your children are still in the world. That's a humanistic realm where you're guided by what you see, what you feel, what you sense, what you touch. And that's where people live in and they hope. And they're saying, I have faith, but really they hope. They hope that God will do something for them. They hope that their family will be saved. They hope that their healing will come. They hope that their children will be saved. But Brahman says, but they'd only, if they can only cast their anchor higher. Next slide. It says, now to you sick people, oh, I would like to drive this home. When you catch that faith that you're going to be healed, every circumstance, everything else, all signs, all symptoms can point that you're dying, you'll never move. So if you live in the realm of faith, the realities of the humanistic realm doesn't matter to you. It says, it's a resting place for faith in the sanctuary of God's word. When faith, genuine faith sets itself there. Not make-believe. Faith, not hope. But faith. Hope is out there, hoping it was in. When faith is already in, looking out and saying it's done. Next slide. So I've divided this in two here. So there's a natural, the natural realm, which is the humanistic realm, and then the supernatural realm of faith, which is divine revelation or the vision, which is that save the Lord. And if we can get you to move, if we go to the next slide, if we move from there to here, that's where the believer ought to live. In the realm of faith. In the realm where all things are possible. In the realm where circumstances don't matter. In the realm where everything else that you see with your eyes are lying vanities. In the realm where you don't consider your symptoms. Where you don't consider the condition of your family. Where you don't consider anything that you can see with your eyes or feel. If God, by the word, can move you tonight from this natural realm into the supernatural realm, then you reach a realm in which Jesus Christ was living in. The realm of perfect faith. We're taught by the message... Next slide. The prophet has told us that we have a soul, we have a spirit, we have a body. Right? So now let, let's put this thing in perspective. Let's go to the next slide. Your body is what is in this realm. 
the humanistic realm, where we're living in the earth. This is where you and I are, right? We taste, we touch, we have sight, we have hearing, we smell. Then on the other side, in the supernatural realm, that's where faith is. In that realm, there's only faith or unbelief. Now, the channels of the Spirit is what allows you to contact those two realms. Brother Banner will bring somebody in the prayer line and contact the Spirit. And through the Spirit, he'll be able to know the condition of the body. Say, oh, you have a growth, or you have a kidney, or you have a cyst. Or sometimes through the Spirit, he says, you're a sinner. So the Spirit is the channel of communication, if you will, between your body and your soul. Next slide. Now, God has given you five senses. We've talked about those things. But, Brother Adam says, God gave you those five senses to contact this world. And we don't have all the same senses as other creatures. For example, I'm going to make a point by going through this. These sea turtles and some worms and birds and all these mentioned animals have what is called a magnetic field sense. So this allows them to know which way, which direction they're facing at all times. Like, I cannot be walking and say I'm facing south. Like, I, I don't have that sense. But these animals have that sense. Next slide. Sharks possess the best biological conductor of electricity. And it's, it's because of a network of pores all around the shark's face. So when a shark swims towards food, his lunch, the jelly detects minute differences between the electrical charge in the animal and the water. This allows sharks to always attack the prey even when it's dark. God gave those senses to sharks to detect electric fields. We can detect that. Next slide. A deer has what's called a sensing nutrient sense. So what they do with that is that they're able to sense whether the food has what they need or not. I wish I had that. <laughs> so they only crave for food that contains what they need in their body. Because these acids that they need, they cannot produce it themselves. So God gave them a sense that they're able to detect by looking, this is what I need. Next slide. And now, the catfish has what's called a mag- magnified taste sense. This is incredible. In other words, it's, it's a swimming tongue, basically. It possesses over 100,000 taste buds. So this animal can detect the flavor of its potential prey from all directions. Before it even tastes it, it knows, oh, this one is going to be good. <laughs> this one is going to taste. God gave it that sense. So I'm saying that to say this. The way God made the human body... And we'll get to the quotes. He's given you five senses, and you know all of this, to contact this realm in which you're living in. He only gave you the senses that you needed. You don't have magnified taste because you don't need that. That would be very weird if a human being had that here. You don't have the ability to detect electrical fields like the shark. You don't have that. You cannot sense your nutrients by just looking at it like the deer can. You don't need that. God gave you five senses specifically to help you navigate this realm in which you're living in. Now, those senses are limited to the realm in which you're living in. God only gave it to you not to contact God. To contact this realm. The issue of it is that because we are a triune, or we have a trinity, as Brother says, we have a body, spirit, soul, we get all these senses mixed up, then we start looking at the things of God that require a super sense with the senses from this realm. 
Does that make sense? So you're not looking at God for a promise, but you're relying based on the sense that belongs and it should be confined to this realm. Your taste, you cannot take your taste and say, oh, I taste God. Like this is, I'm healed. No, you cannot take your touch. I feel something. I'm healed. You cannot take what you see in this realm to communicate with a divine being. God never gave you those senses to talk with him. Neither did he give all those animals, those senses to contact him. No, this is to contact and navigate around this world. If you didn't have your sight, it would be difficult to navigate around this world. If you couldn't hear, if you couldn't taste. And God knowing what you needed for this realm gave you just exactly what you needed. To each animal, he gave what they needed. But when it comes to contacting God, there is a sense that is given to your soul that's called faith. Now, faith operates in a complete different realm than your other five senses. The issue is if you mix up those senses and you apply one of your physical senses to the realm of God, it doesn't work. Jesus was living in the realm of perfect faith. Right? He only did, and I'll go further, he was living in the realm of vision. Because in that supernatural realm, there's revelation and there is vision. So he only saw what the, he only did what the Father showed him. The disciples were living in a humanistic realm. Peter one day caught a revelation from the other realm. When Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, Thomas couldn't believe unless he saw. Thomas was still in this natural realm, in this humanistic realm. Do you understand what I'm saying? The same, you have three different categories of people living in three different realms. The believer is called to live in the realm of faith. But we spend so much time in this natural realm. That is what causes us trouble to believe God. It's because we spend so much time here. If you start spending time in that realm of faith, by creating an atmosphere around you, by staying in the Word, by believing in the Word, by getting to the Word, it begins to create a realm around you that you're always walking according to the Spirit, according to faith, and not according to your senses. That is why Abraham could call all his symptoms lying vanities. He didn't consider the deadness of his body, but he considered the promise. That was a realm of faith. Today, leave this humanistic realm, come up a little higher. That is why God came to John in the book of Revelation and says, come up higher. In this realm, I cannot show you these things. But if you come higher, I'll open some revelations to you. Now, Brian Adam says, he's something on the piano here. Will you, sir? Then the man plays several chords on the piano. He says, how many hear this? How many seen that? No, you never saw it. You can't see it. You cannot see sound, but you can hear it. He says, how do you know that was a music note? How do you know what it was? How do you know it was a piano? Did you see it coming through the air? No. Did you taste it, perhaps? No. Did you feel it? No. Did you smell C sharp major? Did you smell A flat, flat five, sharp 13? Did you, did you smell those chords? No. But it says, what did you do? You heard it. Is that right? It says, now look, what is faith? Faith is a sixth sense. Five senses control this man. So you are controlled. In other words, you are limited 
by these five senses. Now, God put man, now God put man in five senses to contact this earthly home. You don't contact God with your five senses. You know God by faith, which is the sixth sense. So in your soul, there's two senses, faith or unbelief. But if you're possessed with faith, faith is just as real. And it says, a much reality to your sight. So I can confidently say I heard a chord. I can confidently say I smell pizza. I can confidently say I feel wood. But the sense of faith has a greater reality than all these five senses. When it comes to the things of God, by faith, I have a much greater assurance. So my reliance on faith should be greater than my reliance on all these five senses. If I can get you to disbelieve and doubt your five senses and come into the realm of faith, all things are possible to you. says, you're not supposed to feel. Faith is a substance of things hoped for. The evidence of things you do not see, taste, feel, smell, or hear. You believe it? says, well, you say, I don't feel any different. You're not supposed to feel any different. You're supposed to believe. You say, well, I don't, I don't see my kids coming to church. You're not supposed to see them. You're supposed to believe. You say, I don't, I don't feel any better. No, it's not about what you see. It's not about what you smell. It's not about what you feel. It's about your faith in God. It is absurd to, to, let me phrase this correctly. It is absurd to expect a sensory response when God touches you. Now, God touches you in your soul. That is faith. Then after, you can feel something in the spirit. You can feel something in the body. But the body is always the last element of your body to know that God did something in your soul. It happens in your soul first. The body is just a little bit behind. But your body will eventually catch up to what God has deposited in your soul. So when God gives your children, the last thing you will see is them coming. But it has already happened before you even saw it. Because when it happened, it was in faith. When God gives you your healing, it has already happened. Your body is the last bit that's going to start feeling a change. But when you feel a change, that's not when God heals you. That is when your slow body caught up to your revelation that was in your soul already. You have five senses of the body. See, taste, feel, smell, hear. None of those senses declare God. None. None of your five senses can declare a reality from God. These five senses is foreign to the realm of faith. It's completely different. It's like Brother Murphy was saying on, on, on Sunday morning. It's like when God, Jesus sent out an invitation to the wedding supper and you say, I married a wife. It's irrelevant. It, there's, there's, there's nothing even to compare. It's like, what are you even saying? It makes no sense. What has a wife had to do with the invitation? So it's like, when God says you're healed and you're saying, but I don't feel anything, it's like, you're comparing apples to oranges. Like, the realm of faith has nothing to do with your feelings. What does your feelings have to do with what I've already declared? Faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. You do not see it, 
You don't taste it. You don't smell it. You don't hear it, but you believe it. It says, if you believe, you will pray right now until you are so sure that you are healed. Just as sure as you are that this is white, that this is wood, that this is a microphone, that this is water. I will assure you, if you get that type of faith, God Almighty will speak through me and tell you you're healed. My. What is brother I'm saying? Saying when people come to the prayer line, says, I cannot tell you that you're healed until you go into this realm where your feelings matter no more. So when Brother Bonham is looking at you in a vision and he's saying, when you leave that realm and you step into the realm of faith, then God can speak and says, you're healed. Because you've completely dissociated yourself from the elements of this realm and you've tapped into a realm where God actually is. The realm of faith. So faith is to your soul a greater reality than all the five senses of your body combined. It's a super sense. You're not supposed to have feelings in your soul. There's no feelings in the soul. There's faith. Like your soul, which is the real you, has no feelings. So when God touches you, you know it before your body knows it. You know it before your spirit knows it. But in that realm of faith, in that realm in your, in your soul realm, there's no feelings. There's no senses there. It's only faith. So now, here, here's the complexity of, of the human being here is that we pray because we have faith in God. But for our prayer to come from our faith, we need to speak. We need to pray. So the soul controls your spirit because the faculty of speech is something that happens in the spirit in your mind. That's where you can form words. And then from your spirit, your lips can actually move to say out your prayer. So you're praying from your faith that God has deposited in your soul. Through your spirit, through your lips, right? That's what happens when I'm speaking, right? Now, when God hears your prayer and gives you faith back as an evidence, the first element of your body to know about it is your soul. Your body is the last element to know about it. So the complexity here is that when we live so much in this realm till we don't see it yet, we start disbelieving what is happening in this realm. In the realm of unseen, it's instantaneous. There's no delay. The delay comes in this realm. Do you know that there's a latency to everything you see? The speed of light? You know that when you look at the sun, it's as, as though it was eight minutes ago? What you're looking there has already happened. Your body is eight minutes behind. So when the sun was shining, that it happened then, but it took your body eight minutes to see the light of the sun. Because we don't have the ability to actually look at the spirit of light. So we're behind. If I was to drop something, right? Not my Bible. But if I was to drop this, you heard that sound? But I actually see it falling before I hear the sound. Because the speed of light is faster than the speed of sound. So I will see it fall. Then I will hear the sound. There's a latency in this body. Because bodies are limited. Things don't happen instantaneously. Even when you text somebody, you send a text message and they receive it, it's an appearance of spontaneous, something that's happened immediately. It doesn't happen that way. There's a latency. It is just so fast that you can really see it. In everything you do, your body is always the last one. Your eyes are the last one to see something. 
you see everything as it was already happening in the past. Some of the stars that you observe in space, some of them don't even live anymore. They're dead. It's true. But your body is so slow that it takes your body time to catch up to what already happened. So when God healed you that day, you were already healed. Your body is simply too slow. But if you stay with that faith, eventually, perhaps eight minutes like the sun, perhaps five hours, perhaps five months, perhaps five years, like Abraham, it took 25 years. But when God gave him that son, he already possessed that son. He had the substance of it in this realm. It took his body 25 minutes, 25 years to catch up. I'm trying to tell you, whatever you need to believe in prayer, you already possess it. You have the evidence of what you're praying for. Wait a little bit longer for your body to catch up. Give your body time. Your poor body is just simply slow. But it will catch up eventually. Your children, eventually you will see them sitting there in the pew with you. But when God gave you your children, it was when he made it real to you that when you said, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, you'll be saved in all your house. When you believe that prayer and you believe that promise, God gave you substance. That's when he gave you your children. Give it time. The elements of this realm have to catch up. How are we doing for time? Oh no. <laughs> My. Okay, I'm going to wrap up. <laughs> Brabham says, when God made man, he made him first in his own image, which is the spirit. Then he put man in five senses, not to declare him, but to contact this earthly realm. He says, it's the scientific part of man. See? Taste, feel, smell, hear is only to contact this earthly home. The inside man, which is spirit, contacts God. That really struck me how he said it. That, those five senses, he says, it's a scientific part of man. Which means that the five senses of your body is the part of your body that can be measured, observed, diagnosed. So when healing takes place, before there's a physical, scientific manifestation... There's a substance in your soul. So your doctor might take a look at you, at the scientific part of your body, and doesn't see a change. You might yourself look at your circumstances and not see a change. You're looking at the scientific part of man. You're looking with your natural eyes at the conditions of your family. You're looking at the condition of your children. It looks like it's going worse. You're looking at the condition of your body. It looks like you're not getting any better. You're looking at the scientific part. That is what can be observed, measured. Faith is not scientific. You cannot measure it. You cannot observe it. It's a substance. So when you're looking at the scientific part, you're looking at the wrong thing. If you're looking at symptoms as proof of healing, it's absurd. It's like I was saying, it's like saying I buried a wife when you've been invited to the feast. It doesn't make sense. It's not even comparable. What does your symptom have to do with your healing? Nothing. What does the condition of your children have to do with the faith in their salvation? Nothing. What are the circumstances in your life and your depression has to do with the promises of God? Nothing. 
you're looking at the wrong thing. If I can get you to look away from that and look at the promised word of God, then you live in the realm of faith. Now, we spoke about faith. Actually, I need to go back to something here. In Matthew chapter 8, I'm not going to turn to it for the sake of time. But the the Roman centurion comes to Jesus Christ and says that his servant is sick. And Jesus said, I'll come. And he said, I'm not worthy. They shall come to my house. He says, just speak the word. Brother says, he's a man who understood authority. He says, I'm a man of authority. I say to 10,000, come, they come. I recognize that you have authority on all things. So if you speak the word, it will happen. The Bible says Jesus marveled. Why did he marvel? Because this man possessed marvelous faith. So the Bible says at the same hour when Jesus spoke, his servant was made whole. Did this man see it? Did this man feel it? Did this man smell it? No. So the moment God spoke the word, it was done. But this man went back home. Perhaps it was a two-hour journey. Perhaps it was a four-hour journey. Eventually, when he got home, that's when his eyes were the last one to see the evidence of what God already declared. Do you see what I'm saying? Your body is slow. Now, what takes your body from here to where your faith is? Right, what says. But what I'm trying to do tonight is to get you to see what I mean. When you come here and deliver, stand right on that word. He is the high priest of your confession. Now he says, God can't, can't do nothing for you until you first confess that he's done it. What will bring your body from here to what your soul has experienced? Confession. Your body is behind, so you have to remind your body by confessing it every day. You are healed. My family is healed. My children are saved. I'm delivered. I'm not depressed. I'm not a slave. By saying it over and over and over again, you keep reminding this body until one day you wake up like, wait a minute, it is true. I am healed. I am saved. Then your body becomes obedient to your confession. Hebrews 3, chapter 1. He is the high priest of your confession. He is sitting at the right hand of the Father to make good anything that we confess that he has done. But he cannot do nothing for you until you first confess that he has done it. What's the things you desire when you pray, believe you receive it? That's the order. See, you believe now that you receive it and it shall be given unto you. That's the future. So when you believe you have it now, the manifestation of it may be later in the future. But it says, He is a high priest to make intercession for your confession. And He cannot heal you until you first confess that He has. My, my, my. How many need to be healed tonight of something? Whether in your body or in your spirit. God cannot do it unless you first say that He's already done it. Principles of faith. It's a reality to your soul, but by confessing it out, the high priest gets to work. The first one that comes from the heart, when you believe it, you walk up and confess it. 
You say, I accept Jesus as my personal Savior. I believe He saved me. See, there's not a physical thing in the world that you could prove that you're saved. Your eyes are the same color. You got the same shirt you had on. Right? The old side gang, the, the old gang says there ain't nothing to it. But you believe something happened. The night that you gave your heart to the Lord, you went back home wearing the same clothes. You went back home feeling the same way. You went back home with the same hair color, with the same eye color. Everything about you, nothing physical changed as an evidence. But you, what you had was a reality in your soul that you were saved. So you don't need a physical proof for your salvation. Same principle for healing or for anything else. You don't need to see it first to believe it. You've got to believe it first. Then no matter what this realm shows you, you stay with what God has revealed to you. For faith is a revelation. You believe you're saved. You act like you're saved. You say you're saved. You associate with those that are saved. And it works salvation. Is that right? The same thing will take place by divine healing. You believe you're healed. You act like you're healed. You act like you're healed. I think my wife gave a testimony a few months ago where her back was really hurting. And she couldn't get up. She couldn't do anything in the house. And was supposed to go to church that Sunday. I said, you know what, honey? Principles of the word. I'm going to pray for you. We're going to believe. You're going to say it's done. And you're going to act like this is not a problem. Which means you're going to go in the house and do what you're supposed to be doing without worrying about how your back will respond. Oh my. Yeah, that's what she did. It hurt a little bit. It got better. It got better. By the time you came to church, there was no pain. Principles of faith. You believe, you confess, and you act like it's already done. That's what Abraham did. He believed and he went out to get that nursery ready. Because he knew there was going to be a child that was going to come. If somebody here wants a child, you go and act upon it. You go and do what parents are expecting do. You act like you're expecting and your body will catch up to that confession. You don't need to wait for that pregnancy test to tell you it's done. All you need is the promise of God. There was never a barren woman in the Bible that God did not open a woman when she was daughter of God. As a matter of fact, I was looking at the first miracle, the first healing in the Bible. Do you know what it was? Abraham goes to Abimelech. Abimelech had taken Sarah. And God shut all the wombs of all the women in the land. Abimelech comes to Abraham. Now God goes to Abimelech and says, you're a dead man. Now you better go back to my prophet. Let him pray for you. Abimelech goes. Abraham prays for him. God, obviously, God opened up the rooms. So the first thing that God did, the first instance of healing, God gives life. The first instance of healing in the Bible was God opening up the womb. So he's the high priest of our confession. First John chapter 2 says he's an advocate. Now, an advocate is an attorney. An attorney can only plead based on your confession. It's what you say about the case. So if you're in legal trouble, you want to see a lawyer, he will ask you, what happened? What's the case? What's the situation? Then you have to confess. Now, based on how what you confess, he's going to go and formulate a strategy for your case. Now, if you say, I want to plead guilty, then he's going to go and check the articles of the law 
He's going to go and do some research on precedence. He's going to prepare his case based on how you want to plead. So the pleading of a lawyer is based on you. A lawyer cannot force you how to plead. You choose. If you say not guilty, that changes the strategy. So there's a different strategy based on your confession. When you say you are healed, what is the strategy? You're telling the Lord, this is what I'm declaring. He says, okay, thank you. Let me get to work. Let me put together a case. Let me go speak to the Father. I will compel him. I will pray. I will plead for you. Based on your confession, I know what articles of the Lord. I have a relationship with the judge. I know his ruling in the past. Let me get to work. Based on what? How you confess. How do you choose to confess? Are you sick or are you healed? Are your family sealed or not? Based on your confession, the attorney gets to work. So your confession sets the tone of the entire case. The attorney's choice of words, the legal cases he refers to, the articles of the constitution that he's going to invoke, all of this is a direct consequence of what you confessed. How a case goes based on how you want to confess. Your testimony. So the advocate or the attorney, he knows how to navigate the law. You don't know how to navigate the law on your own. So you get somebody who really understands the law. And usually those attorneys, they've worked with the judge before. They know how the judge rules. They know his previous ruling. They have a relationship with the judge. They know the law. They know the articles of the constitution. They know just exactly how to put together a case in your favor. So the verdict, which is the outcome, depends on what? Your confession. So when you say, I am healed by his stripes, he can take that confession and formulate a plea to the Father. Now, there are things here in this realm that you and I do not know. I think Brother Tim mentioned this last Sunday when he spoke at camp. He was saying... Give an example, I was talking to his dad, I believe, about healing. Saying, why would God heal you? On what basis? Right? Why, why should God heal you? So you can claim, Lord, I pray, heal me, heal me, heal me, or save me, save me, save me. Why? Now, the why, there are things about that why that you don't know. But Jesus knows. So, let's say that for Brother Reed here to get saved, to believe in the message, he needs to see, let me pick, Brother George healed. So the healing of Brother George triggers something in him say this message is true. So now, Brother George can plead, Lord, I'm healed, I'm healed, I'm healed, heal me, heal me, heal me. But God knows, Jesus knows, that to get a hold of Reed, he needs to heal that man first. So by his confession that he's healed, Christ can go to the Father and plead. And say, I need you to heal George, because my seed, Reed, salvation depends on that healing. You don't know the things that the attorney knows. So he can negotiate. He can plead in a way that you cannot. Father, all that you've given me will come. And I will not lose one. If George doesn't get healed, Reed will not come. So I need you to heal him so he can believe. There's a plea that you cannot pray. How would you know? But the high priest knows. That is why you need to confess it and let him plead. He knows exactly how to plead. I was going to go, I'm going to skip this. We're going to wrap it up now. 
If you believe you're better, brother Bam says, if you believe you're better, say you're better. Act like you're better. There's no more thing that God can do in this great kingdom to get you healed because he's already done it. What are you saying, brother John? Are you saying that God will heal me tonight? No. I'm saying that God already did it. Are you saying he's going to give me my children tonight? No. He already gave you your children. What I'm trying to do is to get you to see what he's done so you can deny what you see with your eyes. If you believe it, accept it, you have to act upon your confession. Go out and say, I am well. Believe you are well. Act like you are well. Say, Brother Branham, should I do that before? (laughs) Oh my. Before I feel anything, he says, you never felt nothing. Jesus never did say, did you feel it? He said, did you believe? So you're saying, should I testify that my family is sealed after I see them coming to church? No. You should testify of it before you see them coming to church. Should I say that God healed me after I see that the symptoms are gone? No. You should testify of it before the symptoms are gone. Because your confession gives a high priest ground to plead for you. I love this. For faith is substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things you do not see, taste, feel, smell, or hear. Amen. There you are. You believe it? You can't accept it now until you do believe it. And you've got to believe it before it will act. See what I mean, friends? People stand on the platform and say, well, I don't, I don't feel something happen. It can't happen until you first believe it, accept it, and confess it. It says, and when they confess it, he goes on to work on it. When does he work on it? When you confess it. So Christ as a high priest of your confession waits on you. You say it first, then he says it. He cannot intercede for you until you first confess that he's already done it by faith. See? Now that's the same thing. You accept him as your healer, you renounce your feelings. It's not by feelings, it's by faith. You say you're healed, you believe you're healed, you act like you're healed. You associate with people who believe in healing. And God will bring you right out to a perfect soundness of health. It will not fail. I don't know about you, but I happen to believe the prophet. He is the high priest working on what? Not on your crying. Not on your repenting. Not on your faith. Oh my. He's not even the high priest of your faith. But of your confession. I feel sick. Uh Uh-uh. He cannot work with your feelings. I don't see this. He cannot work with your sight. But if you confess that you believe, then he can get to work. He's not the high priest of your complaining. I'm depressed. I'm sad. I'm miserable. Nothing works for me. How come people get saved? Nothing happens for me. I see this family is being restored. What about my family? He's not the high priest of your complaints. He's not the high priest of your crying and weeping. You can cry. He says you can come and cry to the altar all night for weeks and weeks and nothing will happen until you believe and confess it. If I come and believe that God is going to save me and I go back home doubting or acting like I was still a sinner, how am I saved? I've got to go living like a righteous man, living like a son of God, associate with people who believe like I believe. Say the things believers ought to say. Go to places believers have to go. Act like a believer. That is your confession of faith.
He can only do as you say. Oh my. He can only do as you say. See, but you're afraid to say so and afraid to act upon your confession. No matter how many times you pray, you will never get well. You can pray all you want. You will never get well. You will never get saved. You will never get forgiven until you believe it. Confess it and act like it. If I came to the Lord and said, Lord, forgive me of all my sins. And I went back home still crying about my sins. Like, I'm such a sinner. I'm no good. What did my prayer do for me then? Nothing. So I've got to believe the forgiveness of sin is for me. That God is faithful. If I say forgive me, he will forgive me. So when I finish praying, I go out knowing I'm forgiven. Living like I'm forgiven. Saying I'm forgiven. Mean it in your heart. Just keep saying it over and over. If you don't believe it altogether, keep saying it until you believe it. You just keep saying it over and over again. I thank you, Lord, for my healing. I thank you, Lord, for my salvation. I thank you, Lord, for my deliverance. I thank you, Lord, for my family. Because he's a high priest of your confession. He cannot do one thing for you. He cannot make a single intercession for you until you first confess that he's done it. Now people wonder, why is it taking so long? Because he's waiting on you. He's like, I'm ready to go, but you have to say it before I can plead for you. Say that I've done it so I can tell the Father, yes, my blood is there. I pay the price of the atonement. Healing is in the atonement. Salvation is in the atonement. My, my word says that his family is saved. You've got to say it first for your high priest to get to work. If you're sick, say, Lord, you're my healer. I've sinned to cause this to come upon me. Forgive me. I'm taking you at your word. You say you would heal me. I believe it. You're the high priest of my confession. I'm confessing about your stripes I'm healed. Thank you, Lord. Go right on, see? Then he can go to work on it. He says, and start healing you. So the process of what you're praying begins after you confess it. You want your family sealed? You say your family is sealed. You thank the Lord for saving your children. You thank the Lord for the Holy Ghost, for restoring your home. You thank the Lord for healing your body. Then he begins to work on it. The process starts after you initiate it by your confession. Brother Abraham talks about a woman who had a gallbladder issue. And she came to Brother Abraham frantic asking for prayer. Brother Abraham, I pray for her. And she went on and canceled her surgery. Because she was supposed to have surgery. She canceled it. And then a few days after, she started feeling very sick. She calls the doctor back again, and she had the surgery. They opened her up, and they found nothing. She was healed, but she relied on her symptoms. And she had an unnecessary surgery, and they found nothing. Lucky for her, because what would have happened if it wasn't for the grace of God, is that that thing that God healed her from would have come back by her unbelief. So if you doubt that God has answered your prayer... What you're praying for, the reverse of it will happen. If you're praying for healing and you go back home and you start doubting, then that sickness comes back on you. If you believe that your children are safe and you start doubting, they'll go further away. So we're confessing only what he said. You see, if I was paralyzed and in my heart I believe he healed me, I'll confess that I was healed. Even if I couldn't move a muscle. I believe in it. I confess he's healed me. And then I mean really from the heart, not just mentally. 
but from the heart. Because God will make an intercession upon my confession. He's, he will bring it to pass. Think of that. If God say, by his traps I'm healed, then you say, by his traps I'm healed. If he said he bore my sins, say he bore my sins. I don't have them anymore because he bore them. He said he healed me when he died for me at Calvary. Yes. So you're saying what he already said. Confession is not making up stuff. You're saying what God has already said. Concerning your family, he said that you believe and your entire house will be saved. I can say it because he said it. Confession is exercising the spoken word. How was the word created? Through faith, we understand. Paul, uh, Paul says in Hebrews chapter, chapter 11, verse 3, I believe, says, Through faith, we understand the world was formed. But by the word. Through faith, but by the word. So God is the first believer of his own word. Now, God didn't mentally think and waited for the earth to come or for the light to appear. No. He said, let there be. So the principles of faith is shown in Genesis that God is saying that if you believe, he have to speak. Because God believed in his own word, therefore he spoke. The word that we see coming to, come to existence is a direct consequence of a confession. God confessed it and it happened. Brabham talks about another testimony of a, of a man and a woman who... Ask him to pray for the son that was dying. Brother, when I pray for them, for the son, and they began to rejoice. And they started hugging. He says, honey, isn't this wonderful? God healed our son. Oh, praise the Lord. God healed our son. And the nurse was there watching. And the nurse is looking at the machine. He's like, he's not getting any better. And this, man, what's going on here? These poor people are deceived. And she, she said, excuse me, sir. Why, why are you rejoicing? Your son is dying. Like, look, look at this graph on this machine. It will never go up again. It will die. And the man turned and says, you are trained to look at a machine. You live in a humanistic realm where you depend on your senses. You depend on what you see. But I have been trained to live in a realm of faith where I know that if it's already done, God said it's done, it is done. No matter what the machine says. The boy was still sick for three, four days and it got better and it got better and it got better. Brabham says, God will make your body subject to your confession. So what makes your body to express the reality of the soul? Your confession. God will make that body obey what you're saying. Right? Let me give you an example. In Genesis chapter chapter 22. Let's turn to that quickly. And it came to pass after these things that God did tempt Abraham and said unto him, Abraham, and he said, Behold, here I am. And he said, Take now thy son, thy only son Isaac, whom thou lovest, and get thee into the land of Moriah, and offer him there for a burnt offering. Verse 3, And Abraham rose up early in the morning, and sell all his ass, and took two of his young men with him, and Isaac his son, and cleared the wood for the burnt offering, and rose up and went unto the place of which God had told him. On the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and saw the place afar off. And Abraham said unto his young men, Abide here with the ass, and I and the lad will go yonder and worship and come again to you. Abraham took the wood of the burnt offering and laid it upon Isaac, his son. 
And he took the fire in his hand and a knife, and they both went, they went both of them together. Isaac spake unto Abraham his father and said, My father, he said, Here I am, my son. He said, Behold the fire and the wood, but where is the lamb for a burnt offering? Abraham said, My son, God will provide himself a lamb for a burnt offering. Now, two things here. Abraham tells his servants, Stay here. The lad and I will return. We'll go worship and we'll return. This is a man knowing what God told him the previous night. Go and kill your son. Go sacrifice your son. So how is he saying that he's going to return with the lad? He has revelation, faith, that God promises see through Isaac. So if God is asking him to sacrifice him, he will raise him up again. But his faith had to be expressed through a confession to his servants. We will worship, we will return. Then Isaac says, where is the sacrifice? He says, God will provide for himself a sacrifice. Now, these are two two things happen. Right? Now, what happens here is that Abraham stretched forth his hand. So he took his body and took the knife to slay his son. And the angel of the Lord called unto him out of heaven and said, Abraham, and see, here I am. He said, lay not thy hand upon the lad. So his confession was that he was going to return with the lad. When his body was about to kill the lad, God spoke from heaven to make this body subject to what he confessed. His body had to drop the knife. It wasn't Abraham deciding to drop the knife. It was God making this body obey to what he had confessed. And then because he confessed that God would provide a sacrifice, God indeed provided a sacrifice. The two outcome of this situation was based on the two things Abraham confessed. Right, Abraham says you got to accept it, believe it, and confess it to make it an act of faith. You say, I believe, that's your formula. These are your principles. For your children, these are your principles. For your healing, these are your principles. For your deliverance, these are your principles. Whatever you need to obtain that's provided in the atonement, how do you access it through the principles of faith? You've got to believe it first. Deny your senses. There are lying vanities. Like Brother Michael spoke on Jonah looking all around him. Belly of the well, belly of the well, belly of the well. Symptoms everywhere. But those were all lying vanities. He knew that if he turned to the temple, he could tap into a promise. You can tap into the promises of God for you and start denying what your senses are declaring. Start denying what you're feeling in your body. Start denying what you're feeling in your spirit. And start believing in what God said. Faith doesn't know what your feelings are about. Faith only knows the evidence of God. The reality is the substance. So what if it takes time? Confess it. Confess it. Act like it. Are your children sealed? Save a seat for them in the pew next service. Act like it. Live like it. Are you going to have children? Go get the nursery ready. Act like it. Act like it. Is God your provider? Pay your tithes. Because the reason you don't pay is because you think that you're not going to have enough. So you're doubting that God is your provider. If he's your provider, you act like he's provided. Don't fear. Act like it. Say it. Believe it. Stay with it. How long? Brother Bam says, until. How long? Until. Wait up in the city of Jerusalem until you endure with power from on high. How long? One hour, two hours, ten days, four months, six months. Doesn't make any difference. Until. How long is that? Until. When you ask anything for God, 
Stay right there until. He says, whoo, I feel good. Stay until. Until what? Until it happens. Until your body eventually catches up to your confession. Don't be afraid. Testify. Get in action. You can't just hold a holy, holy, holy. No. You have to say, Lord, I believe. Stay in action. Your confession has to match your circumstances. If you're needing a job, say, Lord, I thank you because you provided a job. Your confession has to be specific to what you're believing in. Thank you for my children. Thank you that you restore my family. Thank you that my son is sealed. Thank you to this body that's been sick for years has finally come to subjection. God will make it come to pass. It never fails. I gave a testimony year four years ago, 2017. I suffered with back pain for seven years. I was going to bring the injections to show you, but I forgot. I had to take injections because of the pain. The nerve was pinched, and I had pain all the way from my back to my fingers. The cold didn't make it better. The foreigners know I stayed with them. They saw me in pain and agony. But you know what? When I was determined that I was done with this. Because God says that I have to be in a perfect body. And if something comes and interrupts it, it's the devil. So something came and interrupted my life. And I said, Satan, enough. There is a promise. And I don't know about you, but I like to experiment God's promises. When there's a promise in the Bible that I never experimented, or my, if I get a chance, I will experiment it. So then I had never experimented direct healing from God. I was like, this is my chance. If he's my healer, this is my opportunity. I'm going to believe it. I got prayed for. I went back home feeling absolutely no pain, right? Two days after that, or a few days after that, the pain came back. I stood here and testified that God had healed me with pain. Did you know that? No, you didn't know that I had pain. The pain that led that night, I came, came back. But I kept saying it, that God healed me. Because I don't live in a realm here where I see how I feel. I live in this realm where he provided for me a sacrifice for my healing. I confessed that I was healed, and when I felt pain, I never added it from my mouth saying, Oh, it hurts. No, it doesn't hurt for I'm healed. Who cares what my body feels? Who cares what my body says? All I look at is a promise, and I testify of it. I stay with it till eventually my body caught up, and I've never felt that pain again. Because he's a high priest of my confession. He made my body come to obedience to my confession. I confess it until, until. The word is your healer. You don't need a prayer line. You don't need to be to have lions pray on you. You believe in what God has already said. You take it for yourself. Take these principles of faith. Go home and act upon them. Do it. If the prophet told you to do something complicated, Naaman, would you not do it? But he's asked you to dip into the Jordan seven times. It's simple. Do it. If Brother Branham was here and told you something complicated, would you not do it? But the word of God tells us the simplicity of faith. Three things. You believe it. You confess it. You act like it's already done. You sing that song. It's already done. My family is healed. I'm already saved. I'm already healed. That is your positive confession. You keep saying it until. Oh, Brother Darren, your family is healed. You keep saying it until. Musicians, why don't you come? Leave this humanistic realm. Let's go into the realm of faith. What does your body have to do? How does your feeling have to do with anything? Nothing. 
God is not the high priest of how you feel. He's not the high priest of your crying. It's your confession. He's made a promise. You believe. If you go home and you don't act upon this thing, don't complain. Don't cry about it. You are told what the principles are. I believe it. I've applied it. I've gotten the results from it. Brother Benham says he's never seen it fail. Amen. Do you believe tonight? I stand. We've been taught right. We're hearers of the word, doers of the word. I expect God to do great things among us. I believe that. I believe that even in this, in this Christmas season, I was thinking, I said, Lord, wouldn't it be great if somebody woke up on Christmas Eve or on the day of Christmas and realized, wait a minute, something changed here. Wait a minute, my body is healed. Wait a minute, my family is sealed. Wait a minute, my son is repenting. Oh my, wouldn't it be something special? And you go on your way believing what God has said. You don't look at your symptoms. You don't look at what the outward appearance looks. God looks at your faith. And you hold on firm to what God has made real to you. It will work out righteousness. And God will make that body of yours obey that confession. I don't care how long it takes. Your body will eventually come to the obedience of your confession. Why? Because God said it. I think if we can sing, give thanks with a grateful heart. I believe we know that song. Let the weak say I'm strong. Let the poor say I'm rich because of what the Lord has done. Give thanks. Because when you receive what you pray for, what's the next thing? It's to thank the Lord for it. I can't ask somebody, give me $10 when I already have the $10. I just rejoice. Thank you for the $10. Thank you for my family. Let's sing. Give thanks with a grateful heart. Give thanks to the Holy One. Give
Hosanna, Hosanna, let the weak say I'm strong, let the poor say I'm rich. Let the weak say I'm strong. water the seed. Let's just water the seed. Let's praise our God. Maybe there's something now you want to just thank God for. You want to make a positive confession. Amen. It's not a hope so gospel. It's an I know so gospel. Heavenly Father, with our hands lifted up, with our hearts raised, Lord, we've heard your word. All things are possible to them that believe. And I want to say, Lord, I'm in a room of believers where the impossible, Lord, can take place. Lord, that God, as we heard the word of God, our faith has raised to another level. We're going to put the devil down and we're going to lift up the Lord Jesus Christ. We're not going to go by feeling or the humanistic realm. Lord, we're going to go into that realm of faith. As we heard Abraham saying that lad and I shall return. No different than David saying to the Goliath, today your head shall come off. Lord, that was his confession. And Lord, you brought it obedient to his confession. No different than John the Baptist saying, there's a lamb that can take away the sins of the world. He confessed it. And God, it happened. I can say tonight, I have confessed, I have seen, and I believe. And I'm a recipient of that faith, Lord. What a wonderful word we've heard tonight. I pray God, all hearts have been stirred. Lord, from the youngest to the oldest, it is not by how you feel. It's by how you believe.
So Lord, may you move on the behalf of your children. And maybe there's those this evening that said, I got something very real. That this word came specifically to my address. It was God speaking to me. And you want to lift up your hands to the Lord Jesus Christ, the one that is present right now. And say, Lord, I will not be denied. I will not be denied. I accept it by the word of the Lord. And I'll confess it according to what I heard this evening. Heavenly Father, as we continue to relish this atmosphere. I pray, God, I know there's daddies that are standing for their unbelieving children. But, Lord, as we heard tonight, let their vision raise a little higher. Let them see that child, that young person, sitting next beside them. Let that be the confession on their lips, Lord. Father, maybe it's a healing. Maybe it's for a loved one. Do the supernatural, we pray. Thankful for the gifts that you are building up into the body of Christ. Lord, this is not a one-man show. You've given us a one-man ministry under the banner of Malachi 4. But a five-fold ministry, Lord, to encourage your people. Lord, to hear the words that I heard tonight. My soul is soaring in heavenly places. So, Father, I trust each and every one can go out of the house of God rejoicing. I got something from the Lord. I know in whom I have believed and I am persuaded. He is more than able to keep that which I've committed unto him against that day. Bless Brother Jean, Lord. He's given out much. I pray you'll pour back much. Thankful for each and every one in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, what can we say? Have a blessed Christmas with this message in your mind. What gift God might give you on that Christmas morning? A soul, a daughter, a son, a child. God can do anything. When Brother Jean was mentioning Abraham and and say, the lad and I shall return. I, I, my mind always goes back to a quote that I've used over the years in Jehovah Jireh. And Brother Bram was talking about, he said, I, I, I believe that there was a little poor woman. little poor woman. She came up to me and she had broomsticks under her arms. She had a piece of cloth across it, rags wrapped around it. When she had her hair hanging down, she looked at me, her poor old wrinkled face, ditched in the cares of time, tears running from her dimmed eyes, making their way down those trenches in her face. And I thought, she's somebody's mother. She looked at me, my, such a flow of faith, love and respect, she never asked me to pray for her she just looked at me she took those crutches and she gave them to me and walked off the platform 
Isn't that what we heard tonight? <laughs> she didn't even ask the prophet to pray for her. She heard the word. She walked and took the crutch. Brother Ram actually is more explicit. He said he took, she took one crutch. Then she took the other crutch. She gave him to the prophet and walked off healed. We don't need crutches. Give your crutches down. Lay it at, lay it on, leave them here. And watch God do something supernatural. Amen. My, my, nice to see everybody coming home. Brother George, you don't know how much it means to me to see your face. God bless you. Why don't you come and close in a word of prayer? Amen. Let us pray. Our dear Heavenly Father, yes, what more can we say but to say thank you, Jesus. Thank you for the realities you have brought to us tonight, Lord. No doubt as we walk out, Satan will want to challenge us on these promises. But Lord, it's already done. It is clear. Yeah. It's already done, Lord. Hallelujah. May we keep that on our lips, Lord. Yes. As we leave from here, if the devil comes a hundred times, it might come a thousand times. Yeah. Help us to remember to say this is where it happened. It is all over. Thank you, dear Jesus. We are not asking anymore. We are just saying thank you, Father Lord. Help us to keep on believing until, until, until we see manifestations here and there, Lord Master. Oh, we thank you, dear Father. We are going in this might, Lord. Thank you, Lord Jesus. Blessed be your holy name. In Jesus' name we are praying. Amen. Amen. Well, as we go, I, I, you know, something just comes to my mind after hearing all what we heard tonight. It's already done. And I think we can sing that on our lips as we get ready to go. It's already done. It's already done.
your confession. Let's just sing that chorus one more time. My family is in deep seal. Oh, my family is sealed. That's my confession. That's my confession. Amen. Watch the high priest move on your confession. Amen. We're expecting great testimonies. Expecting great things. God's doing wonderful things. Lord, keep it keep it moving. Brother Murphy told you people one time that Brother Tom is a passionate eater. Isn't that what he told me? Or he told us? Well, when I hear a word like that, I'm passionate. I love it. I love it. And if you didn't get it the first time, hear it again. And again and again. It was a wonderful message tonight. Thank you, Brother John. God bless you. Glory. Well, we'll see you on Sunday if we're here. This could be the last Christmas we'll ever see. God took a prophet home Christmas Eve. I keep always that in my heart. Maybe this Christmas Eve. They're getting all caught up and getting carried away with Christmas. But I'm getting caught up. I want to get carried away to that other dimension. I want my confession. I want my body to catch up. 
to what's happening on the inside. God bless you all. Greet one another. You're dismissed in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank <laughs> you.